0: Uh, it's so good to be together, and uh, this is such a great time for us to, to learn, like I said. Uh, thanks, Antonio. Thanks, Luca. Uh, our, our kids are, are learning. Some of you, maybe, you know, you're feeling it. You just wish you were away. Les vacances are over, uh, you know, and, uh, and maybe for some of you, you're still away, so you're traveling. You might watch this a bit later. Uh, we're just grateful that you're tuning in. But we've actually spent the whole summer. We're, not gonna, we're never going to kind of forget that the summer of 2022 was a summer for us to learn again some of the most basic things in the Christian faith, which is the Ten Commandments. And if you missed one of the weeks of of these uh, teachings, you can find them online and go through that. And, you know, sometimes it's a good refresher for us to be like, oh, the commandments, I think I know them, but I don't know why they matter, or I don't know why they're important, or like they are these old rules that somebody invented that, nah. you know, I'll read them when somebody bugs me or something like that. You know, that's when people read the Bible often. Uh, We've really tried to encourage you to think deeply about what it means that we're formed By these teachings, and I want to help you remember that today we're going to look at the last commandment, and it's it's a doozy. Let me tell you, but I I want us to remember that the commandments were given to the people of God who were living in the season of their lives where they were experiencing, like slavery, hatred, anger, pain. And so, if you haven't been with us at all in the series, you might have forgotten that the commandments have a context. They're not just like rules on some wall that somebody wrote for fun. They're not that. They actually have a particular context, and that context is a place called Egypt. That the people of God are given these commandments because they're living and they're sensing that God is setting them free from the power of Egypt to keep people slaves, to keep people in bondage. And God sets his people free, and as he sets them free, he gives them these commands. These commands were not just a reminder of like, ah, woo-hoo, we're free. But these commandments were God's gift to His people and to us that now they would be people who would be formed in a new way. They would have to change. They would have to grow. They would have to understand who God is. And so these commandments are meant to really do something deep in our lives. And I don't know if you've ever thought about this in your own life. Sometimes when we think of commandments, or we think of rules, we think of regulations. We're just like so boring. I don't care. You know, I've been a pastor long enough and people, you know, will be like, oh, I'm not into any of that stuff. I'm all about grace, which is not what the Bible teaches about grace anyway, but we have all these words that we use that keep us from being people who really want to grow in our faith. Or I know times in my life where I've been really like maybe disobedient and I've been like, oh, rules don't apply. You ever meet people who think rules don't apply to anyone? Like they're just like, people can do what they want or free to, and then you try to give their dog chocolate. You know, and you'd be like, oh, don't worry, rules don't apply, don't worry about it, just let it go. You know, oh, you're going to kill our dog. Like, we know rules apply in life. There's guidelines that we follow. And the truth is that the commandments are a reminder that there's rules that shape our interior life, our spiritual lives, and we're called to grow in this new way. Now, it's so hard to understand this or to even explain this, that the people of God had been in Egypt for years. Do you know how many things they would have learned in Egypt that God would have to Correct. Do you know how many things they would have heard and been told and now like they're kind of starting to step out of this, into this new freedom and they're like, okay, we, what we were taught was wrong. Like that's not going to work anymore. The Egyptians had all kinds of things that they taught people that God was going to have to correct in them. Like one of the crazy Egyptian customs that the Jewish people maybe would have seen or heard of was how the Egyptians dealt with battles and victories. One of the most fascinating things about Egyptian culture was how they prepared before they went into a battle is they often took a statue of the person they were going to battle against and they would make a clay figurine of that person. And then they would write a curse on the statue. And then they would break it and bury it as part of the way they would prepare for their gods to help them experience victory. How many of you think that the Jewish people would have probably done the same thing for the first few years when they left Egypt? They would have been like, that's what we learned, that's what we do, right? Right? So think about when Moses is saying, that's not how victory works with your God now. That's not how your life is going to be transformed. They would have to let God correct them and grow and change and realize some of the things that they've learned don't apply in the same way now. And they would have to change and be open to God to shape them in a new way. I don't know if you've felt that in your life ever, where God was trying to correct certain things in your life. And maybe you were stubborn and fought with God or preferred the old way you used to think about things because it felt more comfortable. And God's like, no, no, listen, you're going to experience my freedom in a new way if I can correct this now. If you trust me to show you a different way. So the experience of God's people is for them to learn what it means that God has set them free, forming them, correcting them, and now they're going to experience the full benefits of what it means to be His people. And as we go through the commandments, each commandment has a unique way it does that. Today we've landed on one of the, I think, one of the most practical commandments we'll feel. It's one of the most painful ones, I think, in my life, as I think about it, in our culture, because so much of our culture thinks that this commandment is kind of, it feels like we can do whatever we want and ignore this commandment. And for some of you, maybe you've read through the book of Exodus, you've kind of learned the commandments. I'm really proud of you for those who have. Uh, So you know this commandment already. But let me just read it for you, and you'll see it on the screen as we talk about it. This is what God says through Moses to the people. You're free now. You're learning this. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant or his donkey or his ox or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Wow. Like whatever you see around you that other people have, be careful that you will be prone to wanting what they have and to covet that thing. Now, if you're taking notes, I want you to just remember this a little bit. This is so important. The word covet can mean to want or to desire what someone has or to take what they have. In English, it's really hard what the the biblical word captures all of those ideas in one word, okay? But I want you to just maybe understand this, that God is telling his people they should be careful about not to covet things that they still do not have. Like, think about that. The people are in the desert, and they don't have a house, and God's saying to them, hey, don't covet your neighbor's house, how many of you would have been like, God, I have a question. Like, what do you mean? Like, we don't have anything to covet. Like, this maybe is not this commandment maybe is not for us. It's for someone else. God's like, no, no, this commandment is for you. You need to learn this commandment before I can trust you with anything. This is one of the most important things that God teaches his people. He has to form them into the kind of people that can handle his blessings. So many people I meet are not people that God could ever trust a blessing. Because their internal lives are not formed. They're not surrendered to the ways of God. And yet they keep praying for God to bless them. And I'm like, you should stop praying. It's not really going to work. Just pray that God makes you a person that can handle blessing. And so the first thing we learn about this commandment is God is saying to them, you need to be careful not to covet things that you still haven't seen. You haven't tasted of the goodness of the benefits that are about to come your way. You will have donkeys and ox and houses and neighbors and I'm going to provide these things but be careful in your heart that when you start to taste of that prosperity your heart doesn't think wait a second, my neighbor has a nicer cow than me that's a, that's a nice house how did they get that house how did they even, well maybe I can, maybe I can have something like that. I, I, I feel this in my, in my backyard, my neighbor has an apple tree and every time, like I'm in the backyard, I see it. I'm like, "Oh, well, that's not like I should have planted an apple tree, but why would I if they have one?" And and this, this things, are, if if the apple's like close to my fence, can I just take it? What's the rule on that? It's kind of a gray space. I actually have a great neighbor, so he gives us apples. But think about living in a culture where we have all these boundary lines. You know, if you've ever had like disagreements with your neighbors, many of you know I've had some of those in my life. You know. It's so easy in our context to be like, oh, there's a fence and that's my property line and if you don't like it, I'll take you to court. You know, it's so simple. We're in the ancient world, it's like, no, no, that's not always going to be clear. You're going to have to know in your heart that I'm a God who told you not to covet or take what is not yours. You have to understand, one, that my blessings, when they come, will require that you're a person that can handle those blessings. And number two, this is really important, we can miss, that I'm a God that honors hard work that those who've worked for certain things are going to experience some blessings on some of those things. See, covet is one of those things that makes us believe that we can have things that we have never sacrificed for. That never, ever happens. Every parent is going to learn that as they help their kids this semester. As their kids are learning to work hard and to try to develop in their skills and do their homework, That they're going to see someone else, that student is so much better at me than math. Any of you have those experiences with kids? If you haven't, don't have kids? No, I'm kidding. It's just a joke, just a joke, okay, have lots, it's wonderful, okay, no, but it's the idea, when I was going to school, I studied music at Vandy College, and I remember, I was studying music, I had a great music program, but when I got accepted into the music program, there were two or three musicians in my, in my class, they were, like, so much better than me, like, I can say this now, like, they were so much better than me, like, at a different level better than me, you know, and I had just made it in, I'm like, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna show them, I'm gonna eventually get better than them. And so I would kind of, I wanted to be better than them. I wanted to be like them. Because the better you were, the more you played in different settings. And people would be like, oh, you're really great. You want to play, you know, I thought, I want to play at the Jazz Festival in Montreal. It's going to be amazing. And I'll never forget, like, I struggled with this. And one day I was talking to my teacher. And I said this to my teacher. I'm like, you know what, it's not fair. Like, how come they, you know, they're always, like, getting asked to play in these different venues. And my teacher just quietly looked at me and said, it's because you're lazy. (laughs) I was like... What just happened to me right now? That's all he said. I was like, you're so right. Like he said, let me just tell you that, you know that drummer that you want to be like, because that was my instrument? They're at school every day at 5 a.m. practicing. What were you doing today at 5 a.m.? I'm like, I went to bed late and I stayed, I slept in, and I'm like, there, there you go, there you go. We can forget that whenever we covet something, we have this trigger in our hearts that says, well, the reason they have that is because they got lucky. It was an intense conversation with my wife this week about this. Oh, they got. Back. I said, Why? what do you mean they got lucky? What if they just worked harder than you? The commandment is a gift to say God honors hard work. So do not think you can take something that you have not sacrificed for. And God is teaching the people this. As they, they have nothing. Like They're just like, like, really? Is that important? It's going to be very, very important. Because I'm watching. And that's the kind of culture you're going to, that's going to be formed in you so that you are not like you were in Egypt. You must learn this. Now, there are people who turn luck and are corrupt and don't work hard and steal stuff, for sure. But this commandment's meant for the people of God to grow in this way. Now, this is the ancient way we understand this commandment. Do not covet. Do not take something that is not yours. And then be careful that you you do not desire something that you have not sacrificed for. Right? But I want to tell you why this commandment is so hard for us to understand. That's different than people in the Bible. And I'll tell you why. In our culture, when we see something that someone else has we don't think about taking it. We just think about just buying it ourselves. So we bypass coveting. So I want to tell you two very important ways that you have to learn to understand this commandment. This commandment applies differently for people who are poor and for people who are rich. Because both types of people can covet something. And if we forget this, we think, oh, coveting is just someone who's trying to take something that they don't have. Well, you know what? If I don't have something that you have, I'm just going to get it myself but I still deal with coveting in my heart. And so I want to show you in a very, it's, it's more complicated, but I'm just gonna make it simple, simple way, okay, to see two different ways of how coveting, to covet something gets in our hearts. When someone doesn't have enough, or if they're poor or struggling, you can put the slide up just so you can see it. To covet is you covet something because you lack what someone else has. You can go to the next slide, you'll see just the, the image. Next one, Andy, all right, there you go. Okay, two perspectives, one is if you're poor, You're poor and you covet because you lack something. You're like, I I covet just having clean water. You know, I spent some time, many of you know, in Africa this summer, and I was like, oh my goodness, like if someone covets clean water, it's very hard even to be upset. You're like, oh, it's so true, like this is crazy, right? So there's a coveting that requires for us to be like God, bare essentials are not being met for certain people, people that we love, people we care about. Right, And to be a Christian or to be part of the people of God is to look for places in our lives where people lack and for us to provide it. Because every time we provide for someone who's lacking, we help them not to covet. Do you see how important this is? We teach them that they do not have to covet. If they are in need, there are people who will provide. There are people who will help. But it's very different for many of us who live in complete abundance when we deal with coveting what others have. We deal with coveting in a totally different way. We deal with coveting because we long that we feel happiness and joy or recognition because of the things that we have. So if people don't recognize me, I just want more. And I get that, and I just want more. And if I don't get that, I just want more. And I I honestly, I try to do this in my life regularly as a practice. Maybe this will help you. Think of the times in your life you thought you'd be so happy if you got blank. What would you put there? I'll be so happy when I finish school. I'll be so happy when I find the right person to marry. Oh, you know, but I'll be more happy when I have kids. And I'll be happier when I get my first house. And I'll be happy when? I'll be happy. When, there's just a just when, when. Listen to me, listen to me right now. If you're not happy right now with who you are, nothing will ever make you happy. Nothing. Because it's the way of the world to make us think that the next thing we long for, the next thing someone else has, will make us feel better inside. And then we can post it on Instagram. (laughs) And then when you have one like, you're like, no! What do you mean? So how do we become people who are not tempted with coveting? How do we become people who work hard, who who want to experience God's blessing, but not with the wrong attitude in our hearts. Because nobody buys a Ferrari to leave it in their garage. Some of you maybe because you're smart and you're into cars, but whatever, in general. Anybody who buys something is like, I can't wait to tell everybody and show everybody, and I, I want people to talk about me. Well, nobody cares about you. Our world is governed by the principle of making sure we keep coveting every single day. If you're poor, coveting is different. If you're wealthy, coveting has a whole nother like, animal nature to it. And it crushes us as parents with our kids. This is one of the most important things we teach our kids. When they see all these other things that they wish they had, that they're going to experience in our culture, that they see in us people who model what it's like that we do not covet. You can't expect the next generation to learn to be happy with what they have if they never see their parents happy with what they have. Okay, that preaches every day. So can we be those who just say we're just happy with what we have? Now we're working hard. If God blesses us, may he bless us to help others. But we are happy because God has provided. And our identity and our significance is not on getting the next thing that someone might see and say, oh, that's amazing. Because you know what? They're not going to care. And even when we got it, we weren't happy. And even when we had that, we weren't happy. On and on and on. So coveting is this powerful thing. I want to take time just as we kind of transition to look at a time where Jesus deals with this in the most beautiful way. Jesus one day talks to someone. It's a profound person. We never actually know who their name is. But Jesus talks to this man who probably lived his whole life having other people covet his life. Whole life. You ever felt that? Maybe you feel like you've done well. God's blessed you. And everywhere you go, people just want to be like you. People wish they had your house. People wish they had your kids. People wish they had your marriage. People wish, until they meet you and you're like, I hate everything, whatever. But in general, Jesus is talking to somebody, and this person is rich. So this person knows what it's like to live their whole life having people hoping one day they might be what? Rich. They know what it's like to see coveting. They know what it's like even to walk around. And, and if you were in the ancient world and you were wealthy, people knew you had an entourage, you wore different clothing. People knew who you were. It's not a bad thing. You ever feel that? You show up? Any first class people? Show up. Ah, sorry. Wait over there with your kids. I need my Perrier. Okay, whatever. You got it. So it, it gets in your head and you're like, I'm a big shot. Whatever. So this person. <laughs> Some of you are like, I'm changing church. That guy's mean. Okay. We don't care. Okay, so, so the whole thing of Jesus, he's going to meet with this guy, and this guy has what? He has everything. Everything. And he comes to Jesus, and he asks Jesus the one question that he asks. There's one thing that all of his money cannot buy. Cannot buy him a ticket to heaven. Cannot. It's so great. So he's like, hey, hey, rabbi, this is a rich guy. You know, I don't know how he gets to Jesus so fast. Probably entourage. Uh, Jesus is with him, and he says, I have a question. What must I do To experience eternal life. What must I do? So profound. Think about it. What would you say if somebody asked you, what do I need to do when I die to go to heaven? Like, what do I need to do? What would you say to them? Uh, Okay, be nice. Be nice to mean people. Put out positivity in the universe. Anyone else? What would you say? We have all these things we could say. What do you need to do to experience eternal life? What would you say? This guy's like, Jesus. Jesus is going to know the answer. He's going to know the answer for sure. Think about what you would say. What you would say to that says a lot about how much you've grown as a Christian. I meet people who have been Christians for 30 years, and the stuff that they say, honestly, I'm bleeding for my ears. I'm like, you've been a Christian for 40 years, and that's what you say to somebody? Has nothing to do with following Jesus. Has nothing to do with maturing in the faith. Has nothing to do with living in God's grace. I'm like, what? how did this happen? Religion classes in elementary schools. That's what happened. Jesus says to this guy, "It's very, very simple. You'll never read this this section ever again." Jesus quotes the Ten Commandments. It's perfect. That's what it says. If you want to enter eternal life, Jesus says, "Keep the commandments." Well, which ones? It's great. I want to know. He he inquired. Jesus replied, "You shall not murder. We got that one. You shall not commit adultery. Got that one. You shall not steal. Got that one. You shall not give false testimony." Matthew did a great job. Honor your father and mother. Love your neighbor as yourself. Little twist. Great. So what do we know about this man right away? He's wealthy and he's Jewish. Jewish because he knows the commandments. And he's aware that Jesus is like, I'm just going to kind of go through the list of the Ten Commandments. What we've done all summer, Jesus is doing with this rich guy. What we've taken time every Sunday to walk through, Jesus is like, hey, have you done this? Have you done this? Have you followed this? You got this? Think about this rich man thinking like, this is great. I'm going to be in heaven. I do all these things. It's exactly what he says. He says, I've done all of these things. This This is great. Is that it? That's all I have to do. And this is so important. It's so important that we learn that what Jesus does next is to remind us that obeying the Ten Commandments and never starting to love God is never enough. We live in a world where it's easy to say we followed all the rules, but our hearts are never more in love with God. We live in a culture where we think if we follow all the guidelines, we got our ticket to heaven. Check off the boxes. And Jesus now is going to take a moment. Think about it. People are watching Jesus deal with a rich man who has everything, which means they've experienced God's blessings. Two is waiting for the last thing that they need to get. They just want to know for sure that if they die, you know, their eternal life. And then... Are they faithful to the Torah? Have they followed the commandments? Have they obeyed? He's like, you know what? I got all those as well. Jesus knows that there's something deep in this man's heart that is still not corrected. Jesus knows that there's something deep in the person's heart that is still not set free from the power of sin. Because remember, you can have all the commandments and never experience what? Freedom. You can have all the people who follow all the rules and never have tasted of God's grace. Have all of this. So Jesus is like, You're, you, you follow all the commandments? Like, you got all these? The guy's like, Yeah, I got them. It's great. I had a good grandfather, taught me the Bible, had a good friend. And you know what? You know what's a sign that I followed all the rules? I'm rich. Because in the ancient world, to be wealthy is often a sign of God's blessing and prosperity and people. I got this all. It's got this. And Jesus does what Jesus always does. All of these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? He said, please say nothing, please say nothing, please say nothing. Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. Thinking about Everybody's watching this and thinking, oh my goodness, if the rich guy is not going to go to heaven, we're doomed. Like, did Jesus just say to this guy to go sell everything they have and to follow me? That's what he said. Now, it's very important. Jesus is not saying in this story that having money is bad. Okay? Many of the people who follow Jesus, many of the women in Luke's gospel who are wealthy and God's blessed them actually support the ministry of Jesus. We know this. But he is telling us about the power of sin to take something good and to make it an idol. He is teaching us about someone who's been, other people have coveted this person their whole life. And Jesus is like, you want to be like this person? Then you should be ready to follow me. Go take everything you have, give it to the poor, and come and follow me. For you, it might not be about money. It might not be, but what would Jesus have to say to you or to me to say, hey, go deal with this in a way that honors my teachings and then come and get serious about following me. What's the question that this man asked Jesus to start this whole conversation? Do you remember? How do I go where? How to go to heaven when I die? Jesus took a question about going to heaven when you die and said you're gonna hate heaven if you're not willing to follow me now. Do you understand that heaven is not where you want to go if you're not a person who's willing to give up what you love and follow me? That's the message of Jesus of Nazareth. So when you meet people who don't want Jesus and just want heaven, they've never learned about Jesus, ever. They don't know this story, at least. Where Jesus is like, you want to go to heaven? It's so easy. Just give up everything. God will provide for you. Follow me. What does the Bible tell us? Happens next. So sad. You'll see it on the slide. Go to the slide. When the man heard this, young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. I don't think I've ever, like this week when I was studying and I was praying and I saw this verse alone, I never thought of something people long for so much with the word sad next to it. Like, you know, you expected the man was very sad because he was poor. The man was very sad because nobody liked him. The man was very sad. The man had everything everybody wanted and he went away very sad. Now, I wish we knew more about this man. I wish we knew more that the next day he went to a prayer meeting with his friends and he's like, I got to get right with God. All we know is that he leaves. We don't know if he ever comes back. We don't know if he ever goes back and thinks about it and says, I have to do this, I'm selling everything. We don't know. But we know that he understood that those who follow Jesus, those who want eternal life, can't just be people who follow the commandments. There are people who follow the commandments with a heart ready to go wherever Jesus says it's, we're going to go. We've been through the whole commandments. We've gone through these, all these teachings. Has your heart become more open to following Jesus wherever He calls you to go? Have you this summer realized, okay, I'm understanding that God sets me free, but now He forms us to be those who are going to follow Him where He goes. Now, luckily for us, following Jesus looks very different than some of the earliest followers of Jesus who follow Jesus till they die. They're going to be martyrs. They're just going to follow Jesus. What would it look for you and me to decide that this season, as we move into the fall, to say that we are going to revisit our lives, our schedules, our the way we make decisions and say, am I really serious about following Jesus with all of my life? Am I ready to give up whatever Jesus asks me to give up to follow him? If the answer is no, Jesus cannot trust you with blessing. Because you will always love God because of what he gives you because your heart has been gripped by coveting. But if the answer is yes, Jesus can give you great things and he can take them away. And you know what? It will not matter. Because your heart and your identity was never in those things to begin with. They were there because you really longed to just follow Jesus. And this is one of the most important commandments that Jesus has to address. The other thing I've learned in my life, and I kind of leave you with this, that those who don't deal with coveting always live a life filled with comparison. They're always comparing themselves to someone else. Coveting not only doesn't make you happy, it makes you miserable at the same time. Not only do you not have everything, but you're always like, what about them, what about them, I don't have what they have, what they have. You can never be happy with where you're at. So coveting, it comes with a blessing. When you deal with coveting, you also are set free from comparing yourself to everything everybody else has. It's just free. You're like, it doesn't matter. It's fine. It's like just rolls off for you. Now, is it a bad thing to work hard and to want to grow and want to experience God's blessings? Not at all. Is it bad to have money and to care about using resources to bless other people? Not at all. But if those things have your heart, Jesus will say, Hey, 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 you got all these commandments? This one here. Go and do that and then come follow me. What is that thing that if God took away from you? You would wonder whether He really loves you. What is that thing? Because whatever that is, it's probably close to the thing that God has to deal with you in your heart, and deal with me in my heart. I'm going to have the band come up, and I just want to remind you how important this is. As we wrap up this series, we've learned about the commandments. We've learned about the promises of God, the blessings of God, the protection of God, from the temptations of the world. And God has invited us to say, come. Come and see how I set you free. Come and see how I provide for you things that you cannot provide for yourselves. Come and and listen and learn so that you would be people who raise kids who trust me. Because they see in you what it looks like to trust me. Come and do that. And at the beginning of the sermon, I gave you a context for where the commandments are given. I don't know if many of you remember this. Maybe you don't, but do you remember the context that the people are in when they get the commandments? They're where? They're in Egypt. And if you read through the book of Exodus, like we've encouraged you to do, you know that the people are going through Egypt and they're looking for a place called the promised land. And I actually want to tell you something that some of you have noticed if you read through the book of Exodus. It's one of the most important passages in all of the book of Exodus to understand the commandments. And you know what? For years, I don't think I understood it well or it helped me understand the Bible better, and we hope you're learning how to read the Bible better, you're understanding the context of the Bible, the story of the Bible, that we're told that when the people of God are set free, the destination that God has for them should take about three days of travel. Three days. For three days, they should travel where God had them to go, and they should experience the blessing of the Promised land. Now what's shocking is it'll take 40 years. To get to that location for 40 years they will turn and turn and be disobedient some will die the next generation will be born another generation will be like where are our grandparents they dead they were so stubborn god killed them we don't even know where they are like just keep going going imagine and as god is teaching them this he's going to show them that they have to be formed in a certain way before they can be trusted with the blessings of the land they have, their hearts have to be set free before God can bless them with the new things that await them. And in the, in near, near the, the middle of the book of Exodus, this is what it says. I want to read this for you and you can play softly behind me, Steve. It says this, When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine con- country, though that was shorter. For God said, If they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the desert. Rode toward the Red Sea, the Israelites went up out of Egypt armed for battle. This is the most mind-blowing part of this whole story. That they're set free from bondage, but they think that the way to victory is to just get better in battle. They leave Egypt and they start to move out of being slaves ready for what? Ready for battle. And God's like, if they think that they're going to win the battles I've called them to with the weapons of Egypt, they're never going to trust me. They will have to learn what it means to trust me and the way I formed them because that's the way they will win the battles that are coming their way. Can you imagine the people carrying all their ar- armor, stuff, swords, the stuff that they made? And God's like, this is not how this battle's going to work. And so probably for years in the desert. God is getting out of their minds the old ways of how they were going to fight their battles. The old ways that they saw, well, the Egyptians win when they did this, so we're going to do what they did. God's like, no, I'm your God now. This looks different now. Completely different. And that for many, many years, they will feel the pain of being disobedient. One of the most painful things as a pastor, I think that I feel is when I meet people that I know that should grow in six months and they take six years. When I meet people that are ready for their next chapter and they stall and they make excuses. Time, time again. Do you know how many excuses are ready for you to make between now and next next week? As we look at the fall, you know how many excuses kids are going to make this year at school? And we as parents are going to be like, no excuses, get up early, brush your teeth. Do All the excuses? You know how many excuses you make when your heart is filled with coveting? Oh, they're just lucky. God doesn't love me. I don't know why my life is so bad. Constant. Think of all the excuses you make. I have lots. If you need excuses, email me. I'll send you a list. Tons of excuses. And God's like, there's no excuses. I have given you what you need to be shaped in a way that will allow you to taste of my goodness and my victory. I have. If you want that, it's available to you sell everything you have and follow Jesus. You'll have that. But if you don't, keep carrying your old ways of doing battle and keep walking and the sins of the parents will be passed on to generations that come after them. I didn't write that, by the way. We get a chance again to remember that our God is gracious and that Jesus came to remind us that those who want a taste of heaven get a taste of heaven. When they let God set them free from what has their hearts and then they follow him. Maybe you've never understood what it means to follow Jesus. You know, when I was really, really young, to follow Jesus was to run to the front of the altar and put up your hand. Somebody put their hands on me, says, oh, let's say a prayer. You ever watch the Simpsons episode where they do that? It's horrible, but it's there. Oh, you say yes to the Lord, read this prayer, amen. You're like, okay, I'm going to heaven when I die. And then you read Jesus telling the rich man, you want to go to heaven? follow me maybe for you this is maybe a, a time and a moment say I kind of know the commandments and I kind of know the rules and, but I've never said yes to following Jesus I've never said yes to surrendering to him the things that have my heart the things that have gripped my heart and maybe that's because you've never dealt with coveting what others have I asked the team to just end with the song Living Hope as a reminder for us that you can obey all the commandments you want. But if Jesus does not have your heart, you will have missed the whole story of God's grace and love. So I'm going to have you stand. We're going to sing this song as a prayer. And the prayer for each of us today, whether you're watching online or listening to this later, is a prayer that has to do with what it's going to take for you to surrender all of you and follow Jesus wherever he calls you to go. To live a life shaped by his way of life. Because when that happens, I promise you, all the powers of coveting of our world will have no grip on you. Because Jesus has your heart. Sing with us. when uh, I tried to find hope in so many other things. I was hoping this would make me happy. I was hoping, oh, if I had that, if I had that. And at some point, I had to do something that many of you have done. As I remember, I was by myself and I just surrendered. I said, God, I'm not going to continue believing the lie that I'm going to find hope in anything else but you and what it means to follow you. So I'm going to pray. And for some of you, maybe that's a first step of just saying that, maybe just saying in your heart, like that's my prayer, God. I want to begin to follow you and I want my kids, my family to taste of the blessings of life because they love you, not because they want more stuff that they see in the world. If as I pray, you sense that, God's saying to you, it's time to follow me. Just come see us. We have a prayer team here. We'd love to talk to you because nobody follows Jesus long if they don't do that with others. They'll see a war in the back and they'll be like, oh, it's too scary. I'm out of here. I can't believe I did that. No, no, no. The Egyptians made that, the, the Jews made that mistake already. We're here to walk with you through that. So let's just pray. Father, each one of us knows how the temptation to covet what others have quickly creeps into our lives. We see it in our lives. We see it in our kids. social media, just makes that so challenging so as we wrap up this series we ask you to set us free from the power that corrupts the ability for us to even enjoy your blessings I pray for those in this room or those who are listening that live every day gripped by comparing themselves to something else or someone else Would they just decide today that they're going to be set free from that? Because they've left that with you. They've confessed that and have left it with you here today. Would you heal this in us so that our kids will not make the same mistakes we've made? Will you teach us what it means to be those who understand that our hope is in you? And our joy and our happiness begins now, not when we get the next thing. I pray for those in this room maybe who are just beginning to take steps to understand Jesus, what it means that they should follow you now. It's one of the most important and sacred decisions of their lives. And we pray that they would take that very seriously. The way we have. And that you would help us as a church to begin to walk with them Stretch them and encourage them in your way, Jesus. This week, as we look into the next season, I pray you would help us to be those who commit to not living life the way we used to, to not think it was better if only things got normal, but that you're calling us into a new chapter now. That you would give us the courage. To make the changes we need to make. To do that. And to trust you. Because you're a good God. And you have good things in store for us. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, our our staff team, before I let you go, just a few things. Our staff, I am so thankful for our staff. They've been working so hard over the summer. As you know, we've been thinking about this fall. And many of the things you hear coming your way are things that we started praying about in June and July when you were in Punta Cana. No, I'm kidding, wherever you were. Because we take very seriously walking with you to learn with us. Walking with you to step into something new. So I just want to remind you, this morning, pickup for Kids is a little bit different. They're in their classrooms. We've made some changes to make room for kids. We've started a nursery. For some of you, this is a great step to just start to serve. And just say, I could help. I want to find my place here. But next week, it's really important. We start a new teaching series, and it's called Never the Same. We're going to look at four people that Jesus meets with whose lives are never the same. I want you to think of someone that you know who's not a Christian, not into church, doesn't believe in God, who God might give you a chance to maybe to invite to one of these Sundays so they would understand that maybe their life would never be the same if they said yes to Jesus. You can do that, and we're also going to celebrate communion together. Okay? Do you know what this means? None of you can make an excuse that you didn't know. See, we're here to help you. Love you. God bless you at the park. Bye, everyone.